0: People understand the just massive economic toll that these have taken, especially on on gyms. And some members and senators say we need to do something that's broadly applied and that can work. Um, But if that's the case, then there need to be tweaks to existing programs or to proposed programs so that they actually meet the needs of gyms.
1: Welcome to the Barbend Podcast, where we talk to the smartest athletes, coaches, and minds from around the world of strength. I'm your host, David Thomas Tao, and this podcast is presented by Barbend.com. Today I'm talking to Brett Ewer, head of government relations at CrossFit. Brett is also a driving force behind the Community Gyms Coalition, a group of fitness industry companies and gym organizations, including CrossFit, Zumba, Orange Theory, Anytime Fitness, Jazzercise, and more, lobbying Congress to provide direct relief to gyms hit hard by the COVID-19 pandemic. In today's special episode, Brett joins me to discuss the coalition's origins and what it takes to get so many different organizations united behind this cause. He also explains why the coalition is pushing for direct relief to gyms, along with the specific needs of gym owners, trainers, and fitness professionals that he believes are being missed by existing relief legislation. I do want to take a second to say, we're incredibly thankful that you listen to this podcast, so if you haven't already, be sure to leave a rating and review of the Barbed Podcast in your app of choice. Now let's get to it. Brett, thanks so much for taking the time to join me. I know it's a very busy start of the year for you and for the work you're involved with, with the Community Gym Coalition. And I kind of want to get right to it. Tell us about the Community Gym Coalition. How did it come about and, and what are the goals?
0: That's a that, well. First, thank you for having me. That is a that is a lofty question. I, I won't
1: <laughs> take too much time. We can we um, can slice it up into smaller chunks if we need to.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess I'll start with you know where we started. Um, going back to um, March and April, I'm sure you were aware that that's when that's when gyms were first beginning to be closed down. Um, the first you know slate of, of closures, um, and. All of the members, we hadn't officially formed at the time, but all of us were acting independently. Um, We were going state by state and interacting with officials. We were, um, you know, asking them, hey, are there guidelines that we could, you know, help with? Or or, um, is there any way that we, you know, could lend expertise? Um, And in some cases, we were successful. But, you know, after, I think, by the summer, when things started to reopen again, we all realized the damage has been done to too many small and mid-sized gyms around the country. Um, So, you know, we need to, effectively, we need to unite and fight. um, And we need to make sure that there is some sort of uh, support that's given to those gyms that were closed down for just months and months on end. And even those gyms that were closed or that were allowed to open, um, many of them were open with just severe operating restrictions. So we saw that the damage was done and we said, we need to we need to help get something um, to keep these gyms afloat.
1: And what do you say? We you're referring to a bunch of different organizations. Can you give us a little background on on what the what the royal we is? Not I'm kidding. Not yeah. the royal we, but, <laughs> but what we, who we is in this case?
0: Yeah, we are uh, far from royal. Um, so the we is uh, CrossFit. Um, that is CrossFit uh, Mind Body which is a, uh, a software company. I'm sure many of you know, uh, works, with, um, works with a lot of gyms. Uh, Orange Theory Fitness, um, SE Brands, uh, which has Anytime Fitness under it. Um, Exponential Fitness, which has a number of other brands under it and uh, Zumba Fitness as well. Um, I think, you know, you know the cliche, politics makes strange bedfellows. I think we are a perfect example of that. Um, we came together, we all recognized that, you know, despite our different methods, despite our different culture or different approach to fitness, uh, we all recognize that small gyms especially need support, they need help, uh, and that we had to unite forces to make sure that that was the case.
1: I want to talk a little bit about the origins of this this grouping and and this this collaborative effort before we get into some of the specifics about, about what you're doing, because there's a lot to cover on both of those, because I think it informs uh, the, the genesis of this organization kind of informs how we look at the work you're, you're doing today. It is an interesting group. It is a group that, hey, if you'd asked me five years ago if CrossFit and Zumba and Anytime <laughs> Fitness would be working on something collaboratively, I I don't think I would have said impossible, but I would have said highly unlikely. Let's put it that way why were what really made this group come together did these organizations you representing crossFit obviously but did these organizations have existing relationships or was it kind of like an open call and organizations that were interested signed on how did how did it really start how did the communication start happening between these organizations
0: yeah so I mean I I had in the summer um, for you know, people who are following a lot of the federal COVID relief news, um, I had noticed that the restaurant industry, the live venues industry, all of these industries that were getting hit especially hard, all came forward with really meaningful direct proposals to make sure that there was some kind of uh, compensation um, or remuneration for closure, so that there was uh, well, so that their industry could survive. And so, you know, I had noticed that, and I was toying around with uh, you know a bill idea. Uh, a policy proposal. And uh, very fortunately, um, our new CEO said, hey, this is a great idea. Let's unite and fight. And so he reached out to a number of different, um, you know, his colleagues in the fitness industry, and they connected us, you know, down the chain. And I and and my boss, um, just we just started knocking on doors saying, hey, would you like to join this effort? Because the more participants there are, you know the the greater the likelihood that we'll have of
1: achieving success mm-hmm. and I have to ask I'm not asking you to name names here, but I am curious, did anyone say no, and if so, what were the organizations that said no generally, what reasons were they giving for not being involved?
0: we didn't have it we haven't had
1: anyone say no. oh wow um, that's a that's yeah. a pretty good conversion rate, Brett
0: yeah, yeah right maybe I should go into sales um, <laughs> no the uh you know anytime we would reach out, obviously there's this is such a, a a difficult time for the industry. So, you know, there were varying levels of of support, certainly, um, in terms of you know material support. But everyone that we've reached out to, um, everyone who's reached out to us, we are glad to embrace and say, "Hey, join in this fight because because this really is important." I mean, we're talking about tens of thousands of jobs. We're talking about tens of thousands of facilities, and we're talking about millions, tens of millions of members who rely on them.
1: How has communication been during the, the time of COVID between these organizations, many of whom have, I assume, not really partnered together before? Are you all having you know, weekly Zoom calls? Are you all having kind of virtual conferences? How are the ideas being exchanged and how is that communication working?
0: We, we have weekly Zoom calls that are just on the books, but uh, candidly, I have never taken so many phone calls in my life. <laughs> I, like I, No exaggeration. I look back through my recent calls list. I cannot find anything from before like December 29th, maybe. Uh, maybe. I mean, really, it's just a constant stream of calls day by day. I mean, We are really an organizing like clearinghouse for ideas, for bringing in allies, for mobilizing people, um, and just... Everything else that comes up when you're running an organization or, you know, an, an initiative like this. Um, so usually it's, it's you know, been done through Zoom calls, um, but also phone calls and text and email. We let nothing go to waste.
1: Let's talk about some of those ideas. Let's get down to what the CGC, it doesn't quite roll off the tongue for me yet. I'll get it in a second. <laughs> the acronym will become second nature by the end of this podcast. Let's talk about what the CEGC is is actually doing. What are? It's a relatively new organization. Obviously, a lot of work still to be done, and I'm sure a lot of things that you all will be rolling out over the next few months. But what are the initiatives that have launched, and what is the the day to day work of the organization so far?
0: Yeah, th- those are great questions. Uh, so, in terms of the day to day work, it is um, making sure that this is that these issues are are in the public forum, and I guess that's kind of a lofty way of saying that we're just making noise. That's half the battle is getting people to recognize that gyms are an affected industry uh, and are affected small businesses uh, and trying to get the attention of people who are in a position to help. So that's oftentimes that's members of the media. um, And that's also members of, uh, of Congress. And so our day to day, you know, my work is reaching out to members of Congress and saying, hey, let's get a call on the books so I can talk with your staff, so you can talk to a local gym owner and understand just how devastating uh, the COVID-19 pandemic has been and the attendant closures have been on this industry, on local small businesses. Um, and, and let's see if there are some solutions that we can craft, you know, on a, on a, on a granular, le- <clears throat> excuse me, granular level. So that's the day to day. Um, is just getting our ideas in front of people who are able to make a change or institute a new policy. What those ideas are is we are seeking direct relief, direct support for gym owners. And and there's a a template uh, that has uh, recently been enacted, actually in the latest COVID bill that was passed in late December of last year, um, which provides direct grants to uh, shuttered live venues well, if you look at any of the state phase-in reopening plans, uh, you will find that live venues tend to be on the, on the later ends. And gyms are, fortunately, they're not as late as the live venues, but they are still very late. And this is in almost every state. Uh, gyms are in the later stages of reopening. And so there's been economic loss, certainly, uh, and, and we're looking for direct support. So that's that's really our our prime goal.
1: What pushback have you gotten because I know that anytime you get on the line with politicians you're going to get some some pushback. That that might be a broad assumption, but it's one that I'll it's a hill I'll die on, let me put it that way. What what is some pushback that you might have gotten from either the staff or uh members of Congress directly when it comes to what you're what you're asking for and what you're advocating?
0: Yeah, I so you maybe the <laughs> You might die on this hill. Um, (laughs) We have actually generally been warmly received. Uh, People understand the just massive economic toll that these have taken nationally, um, especially on on gyms. And and so we're usually warmly received and people do understand. If there is any pushback, it's it's to the idea of there being uh, direct relief through a grant program to gyms in particular. Some members and senators say, we need to do something that's broadly applied and that can work, Um, but if that's the case, then there need to be tweaks to existing programs or to proposed programs so that they actually meet the needs of gyms. Because for example, the Paycheck Protection Program does not meet the needs of gyms, widely. Um, It simply simply does not work for most gyms and that's that's what I've heard anecdotally. Uh, I seem to hear that probably every probably every week, um, just from a gym owner that, yep, they received a PPP loan, but because it's based off of payroll and not based off of you know something like rent, um, they're not getting enough. And then on top of that, you know they have limits on on what they can spend it towards. So sixty percent of it has to go toward payroll. Well, for many gyms, their biggest cost is rent, so they end up getting a loan that. A portion of which might be forgivable, but uh, they end up just kind of kicking the can down the road um, and and they're left with something that doesn't really do much to help, so some of our advocacy has been focused
1: around that too well if there's a if I have to die on that hill if i'm wrong i'm I'm, I'm okay being wrong about about this if you're actually getting <laughs> a positive reception. What are some of the other gym specific concerns, needs? Um, that might not be as obvious off the top of our heads. You mentioned how the Paycheck Protection Program isn't uh, isn't the best for gyms because of some of the specific economic considerations of, of how small and medium sized gyms are run and their actual cost structures. What are some other things that you, you know when we're just kind of casually listening to this podcast, or if we're not running gyms ourselves, we might not necessarily realize off the top of our head about the specific challenges. That the COVID nineteen pandemic has presented to gyms and their financial situations.
0: Absolutely. So, I mean, the I guess the root of the of the financial issues are that there are either you know on the on one end you just have outright closure. So, just you're not able to go into the gym at all. You're not even able to do um, appointments. Uh, you might not even be able to uh, literally to physically enter the building to exercise Um, that's that's on the far end then you have something kind of like what's in washington state right now where you can have one-on-one appointments but you you max out at 45 minutes okay so that means that you know if you're working all day i mean like all day like 18 hours then yeah you might be you could potentially be viable but but it's not it's not likely and then, you know, just on the more um, common end of restrictions, uh, of uh, excuse me, of restrictions, is that you have occupancy limits, state by state. So, in some states, it's as low as twenty-five percent. In California, on a county by county basis, it's as low as ten percent. I have yet to find, I have yet to find a smaller mid-sized gym that can only, you know, that can uh, bring in. of their maximum occupancy and and pay the bills. That's just impossible. So you have these occupancy restrictions that lead to people not being able to come in, even though they want to. And then there's just simply not enough revenue to meet costs. And and the aid that's existing, like PPP or uh, EIDL grants, they just don't get the job done in terms of the amount um, or the ability to use them on certain expenses. So gym owners are just left in this, in this horrible position of there is demand, but, and, and there is demand, and there are costs. And those are uh, two constant things, and demand gets uh, artificially reduced because of the occupancy limits, limits, and then you can't bring in the revenue to address those attendant costs. It is, it is a, I wish I could come up with a better word for it, but
1: it is just a bad situation all around. In an ideal world, direct relief to to gyms, to small and and medium-sized gyms, what might might that be based around specifically? How might that be weighted? Obviously, PPP was based largely on payroll, for example. What structure might you all suggest or might you all advocate for when it comes to, okay, we have direct relief, how much do we decide each gym is getting?
0: Sure. I, I think that there are three ways to approach it. There's one which is approaching it by looking at 2019 revenue and deciding, okay, the maximum loan amount that we will permit uh, to be dispensed by SBA or by whichever agency is administering the program will be XYZ number. So maybe it's 45%. That's one way. Um, The second way would be to look at it quarter over quarter. So you could say, okay, well, if you're... Uh, if your revenue dropped more than thirty percent or twenty five percent in quarters uh, two, three, and four of twenty twenty, we will recoup the losses um, uh, compared to the twenty nineteen compared to those same quarters in twenty nineteen. That's um, that's another way of of uh, approaching it. So you know there are there are different ways of approaching this, um, and I think that. All of them should be considered, but you know the first, the real struggle is getting those
1: ideas on the map. One other thing that I think could be a potential wrinkle, and I'm not going to decide to to die on another hill because I don't want to be proven <laughs> wrong twice on the same episode. We have a limit of of David being catastrophically wrong <laughs> once per recording. <clears throat> One thing that is a reality in the fitness industry is that many gyms are compensating their trainers as independent contractors. That is not a blanket statement. That is not the case for every facility. It differs between gyms. It differs sometimes between gyms that are associated with each other. But that seems like it might throw an additional complication in how trainers are compensated, how people make a living, and how gyms operate. Is that something that you all have had to consider in your advocacy?
0: 100%. So, the way that current relief, uh, current relief through the Paycheck Protection Program is structured is that it is uh, the maximum loan amount is two and a half times your average payroll, and how they determine payroll is is by looking at uh, you know benefits, a number of other like group uh, uh, health insurance benefits, retirement benefits, um, as well as who is considered a a legal employee. Now, if you have a lot of trainers that are 1099 contractors, then they are not going to be, the payments that you make to those trainers are not going to be considered um, for PPP. So you end up getting a smaller loan amount. And the rationale for this was that, well, technically independent contractors are uh, their own um, discrete businesses and that they need to go apply for their own PPP loan. But here's the rub is that I've talked to some lenders who say if you have a 1099 contractor, let's say who's making $100,000 a year, which I think is, is too high um, you know, of an estimate, if they're making $100,000 a year, then let's say they're probably going to get something in the range of $25,000 in terms of a PPP dispersal. The lenders I've talked to said that that amount is almost too low for them to be able to actually recoup uh, the administrative cost of. of actually administering that loan. So you end up getting this gap where the gyms don't end up getting anything. And then the independent contractors don't either. So no one wins out. Um, So we're looking for ways to fix that, obviously, because that's, that's just an untenable situation for the industry.
1: I appreciate you sharing that, Brett. That was the big kind of earmarked question I had written down before this that I, I really didn't have uh, uh, much clarity on. So I appreciate you bringing some some shedding some light on that. I am curious as to a bit about your background and a bit about how you uh, came to work with CrossFit and are now in, in many ways, uh, a voice behind the community gym coalition, but what is your background or is your background in legislation or legislation advocacy or lobbying, or do you kind of come from a different direction here?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I'll just say, I am, I am just one of many voices and, and proud to be a part of that group. Um, my background is, uh, in 2013, I had spent some time in the house uh, of representatives working in a house office and then, um, in 2014, 2015, uh, working in some Senate offices, um, both in the district and in Washington, D.C., um, doing uh, constituent casework and uh, and then going on to press work. So doing more of the um, sort of the communications side uh, of, of those offices. And then in 2015, I joined a uh, PR and lobbying firm. And worked on a number of different clients and issue campaigns and advocacy campaigns and working on speech writing, uh, drafting all their materials, coming up with policy, coming up with, um, uh, you know, assisting in uh, strategy for advancing legislation. And then in 2017, um, CrossFit had been one of my clients. I was on there. They were in my portfolio and uh and i i leapt in house <laughs> and i was glad to do it uh and then you know from 2018 and 2019 and uh, the beginning of 2020 i was i was working on a lot of different state issues working on some federal issues as well uh and then like a hammer in march covid happens and our industry uh and you know our our gyms the facilities become you know the sort of flashpoint uh and we're just <laughs> We're all just thrown into uh, into this mess.
1: Would would you say that this has been the most challenging part of your career? As someone who's worked on things and issues in fitness, outside of it, you know, does anything even come close to the the difficulty and the complexity of what you've been working on over the past you know, eight nine months?
0: Uh, no, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I, could, I could just leave it there, and I would feel comfortable because you know it just the magnitude of this issue and the duration has just been, for me, I've just never experienced that. However, I'm, I still got energy. Um, So we're still going to chase this as much as possible. Um, But you know, I will say that in spring I went through, I felt like I was back in my old casework days working with people who were struggling, who are on the brink, who make their, you know, their livelihood depends on their operating a gym and, helping them through this, um, it was a sobering experience. And, uh, you know, I think I benefited from going through it. I hope that I was able to help enough people. Regardless, we're going to try to continue to help more. And, you know, I'm proud to, I'm proud to uh, work with the CGC to do that.
1: It's impossible to know the long-term effects that the pandemic is going to have on anything specifically, right? There's a lot of guesswork and a lot of talking heads on podcasts like this one and cable news who, who have broad predictions, who knows how accurate those are going to be. And and I don't want to get into specifics because I don't want to make too many enemies on this podcast. I have enough of those already, but what are some things that you think may fundamentally shift in the business of gyms, in that part of the fitness industry, because it is just one part of the fitness industry. As a result of this,
0: I think that there's going to be a renewed appreciation for community. I, I I really really feel that. I mean, I know that there is you know this sort of atomized approach to fitness where it's like yeah you just you know you fit it into your schedule and and you get it done. And for many people that works and that's great. Um, but I know that for many people they need the social reinforcement or they, they just, they crave the community and you never know what you really appreciate until you've lost it. Uh, and I, I, I can, I just, I know that for so many people, uh, involved with the CGC or CrossFit, they really miss their communities right now. And, and that's really the impetus behind the coalition is emphasizing that level of community. Um, So, you know, I think that there's going to be renewed interest in communal workouts uh, following the hopefully successful resolution of the pandemic.
1: If I were a lot smarter and a lot more clever, I could come up with a funny pun on distance makes the heart grow fonder, but apply it to gyms. (laughs) I don't think that's going to happen in the next, you know, 30 seconds or a minute. So I won't, I won't, I won't uh, harp on that too much. But um, I think it is something that a lot of us have felt. And I think that, you know, we cover a lot of different Types of, of strength and the expression of strength on barb band, CrossFit being just one of them, right? And I think that CrossFit is known for being having that communal sense of fitness um, for people drinking the Kool Aid, so to speak, in their gyms. But I mean, I think that applies in in the broader fitness realm as well. Certainly in the strength community, just working out and training with people has it provides a different stimulus, right, than training on one's own Um, and you can get into equipment access and things like that as well. But uh, it's certainly a different mental aspect of it. So I'm I'm glad you, I'm glad you bring that up. And it's something that um, I think most of the people listening to the podcast can relate to at least in part. Uh, Brett, where is the best place for people to keep up to date with the work that the community gym coalition is doing? And uh, if they want to get involved, how would they go about doing that?
0: Yeah, absolutely. The, um, our Twitter is Coalition. Uh, and and I would not be doing my job as a professional advocate if I did not tell every one of your listeners, please go to jimscoalition.org, go to the Get Involved page, let your member of Congress and senators know uh, that this is important to you because it's only going to get on their radar
1: if they hear from you. Excellent. Well, Brett, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it.
0: <laughs> thank you, David.